Remember, Paul is in prison, broken, beaten, malnourished, and he writes these words. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul, literally beaten, broken, malnourished, not knowing where his next meal is going to come from, says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Excited to be here with you all this morning. My name is Ty Combs. I am the uh, next-gen pastor here at Trinity, one of them. I am the director of student ministries. Uh, so I got some homies here in the front row. What's up, guys? Uh, and scattered around. Uh, so I am really, really excited to be here this morning. I love Trinity. I love my church. One of the things I love the most is that they not only allow somebody like me to get up here, because that's a risk, uh, but that they encourage it. Uh, None more than Pastor Mike himself. He actually wants young people like myself uh, and AJ and also some of our campus pastors like Kathy, Jorge, and Mike Schultz. He wants us to get up here and preach and practice. And if you have been encouraged at all in the past few weeks, can you just say amen? Amen. I know I have. And listening to the team prepare and write their sermons We are so, so, so fortunate here at Trinity. We have so many people with so many stories and so much wisdom that they bring to the table. Uh, And I'm honored to be a small part of that team, and I'm also honored to be able to hear them and glean wisdom along with you. So I won't bore you with too much about myself, but I did grow up here in Indiana. I'm a Hoosier, born and bred. I grew up in Wabash, Indiana. Anybody ever heard of Wabash, Indiana? Wow. Awesome. Yeah, it's just a booming metropolis. Um, No, I actually grew up like 20 minutes from Wabash. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. That was just the closest Walmart was Wabash. So I say I'm from Wabash. I went there like maybe once a week. Um, So I grew up on a farm, but I won't bore you with too much about me. But I will take this opportunity to show you a picture of my beautiful family. Uh, That's me, obviously, on the left. And then my six-month-old Ezra, he turned six, month old, six months old today. Uh, that's my wife, Kelly. She works here at Trinity Church also. She does our graphic design and a lot of other stuff that I don't even know all that she does, but she does a ton for the team here. And then there on the right, that's my two-year-old Eliza. Um, my deepest wish in life is that she would always be a daddy's girl. Don't tell her mom but I'm trying so hard to make sure that she always is. I think she is, um, but that's my, that's my wish. So these people on the screen right now, um, man, even this morning, Ezra started crying. It was like 2 or 4 a.m. somewhere in there. I don't know. I, I stopped checking, uh, and I wake up, and I find myself just like, come on, are you serious, man? I walk over. I pick him up, and I'm just like frustrated. I pick him up. And then he just smiles at me so, so big. And just like, you're fine. You can wake me up whenever. But um, the people on the screen bring me more joy than anybody else in the world. 
any other picture I could ever think of. Uh, the three people on the screen with me bring me more happiness, more laughter, more hugs, uh, more love, more joy than anybody else in the whole world ever, ever will. At the same time, the three people on the screen bring me more frustration, more pain, more tantrums, more tears, more disappointment, more regret, uh, just more suffering than anybody else on the world. Yet I stand by what I said, that the Lord has been good to me and that these people on the screen with me, I would not trade for anything. The amount of joy that I feel um, through them and because of them, in spite, regardless of all the pain and suffering, the Lord has been good to me and these people bring so much joy to my life. All right, well, that's a little bit about me in my family. They're amazing. Um, but today we're going to continue on in Philippians chapter 4. So we're concluding our series today, Count It All Joy, which is going through the book of Philippians. We've ha- uh, had the intro and then we've talked about the first three chapters. Today we conclude in chapter 4. I encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles if you want to, to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in the verses that were read earlier. Uh, but f- I'll give you a little rundown, a little context first of where we're at in Philippians. So chapter 4, Paul concludes the entire letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. The first few verses, honestly, he just addresses some like housekeeping issues, helps people figure out some turmoil stuff, tells them just like get over it, love each other. That's the first few verses. Then in verse 4, he introduces us to what we call an inclusio. You can put that word up there. So this is a fancy word that I learned when I was in college, inclusio. Basically, it means when you bring up a point, you go to your second point, and then you return to the original point. So it's like, um, what I like to say is in Philippians chapter 4, Paul serves up a bit of a corrective sandwich a little bit. He tells the Philippian church what they should do, then he tells them what not to do, and then he returns to what they ought to do. So we're going to read that right now. Uh, I encourage you to look for that little inclusio here. We're going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, oh, was that the same one again? I got, I got lost there. Uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So did you see the inclusio there? Basically, Paul starts with rejoice in the Lord always. Think about the things of God and rejoice. Then he says, do not be anxious about yourself. Then he returns with whatever is of God, think about those things. So he says, rejoice in the Lord Don't worry about yourself. Rejoice in the Lord. Do you see the inclusio that he does or that little like sandwich? Um, So now what Paul is not saying in this, he is not saying that if you don't worry about yourself, nothing bad will happen. He doesn't say, don't worry, don't stress, don't have any anxiety because it's all fake. Because nothing bad will ever happen. That's not 
what Paul is saying here. In fact, I think the context of where Paul is literally writing this from tells us maybe the exact opposite. Because remember, Mike Schultz told us this a few weeks ago. Paul writes Philippians from a Roman prison. Now, a Roman prison isn't really a prison like, like what our minds go to. It's not that he has like a bed. It's not that he has a cafeteria. It's not that he has you know, plumbing or anything like that. A Roman prison is very different than what we think of when we think of prison, probably. He's in this dark, maybe underground, it's just this unkept room. It's not even like a cell, just this spot with no plumbing, no bed. They don't even feed him. Literally, Paul's food is whoever happens to think about Paul and take him food, that's his source of food. They don't provide it for him. And before he was put in his cell, Paul was likely beaten physically, ex- extremely, um, extremely bad, especially because this was not Paul's first trip to prison. So we can only imagine that he was beaten, um, you know, potentially near death. So Paul's beaten, malnourished, and imprisoned body threatens to break his spirit, soul, and mind. Do you see how that would be a threat if you're sitting there in the cell, you don't have food, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you've been physically beaten, you're laying there. Do you see how that would be a threat to your mind? How you would just, it would be so tempting, you're stuck in there with your own thoughts, and it would be so tempting to just think, what a waste. What am I doing here? I'm broken. There's nothing good that could come from this. Do you see how that would threaten his mind, his soul, to feel broken? All right, I'm going to show you guys something. I have a bowl here. It's a, not a very special bowl to me. Um, it's just a bowl, blue bowl. I could uh, see myself enjoying some fruity dino bites out of this bowl. Do you guys know what fruity dino bites are? Do you know what fruity pebbles are? Okay, well, fruity dino bites are the Malto meal version, the, the, the kind you get in the bag. I promise you they're better. I promise you they're better. I've tried them side by side. I've made other people try them side by side. Fruity dino bites are better than fruity pebbles. If you remember nothing else from this sermon, don't make it that. But... Um, <laughs> I could absolutely see myself enjoying some fruity dino bites out of this bowl. In fact, what if I enjoyed fruity dino bites out of this bowl every single morning? Maybe I enjoy fruity dino bites out of this bowl every morning while I do my devos. And I do it for weeks, months, years. My kids grow up, Eliza and Ezra grow up, and they see me eating fruity dino bites out of the special blue bowl every morning. It lives on in legend. They would take it as an heirloom. They would surely fight over it when I pass. They would then want to pass it on to their children and their grandchildren. And it would live on in legend as Great Grandpa Ty's Fruity Dino Bites Bowl. I can see it now. And I can imagine if they tried to move it, they would have to put it in bubble wrap to make sure nothing bad ever happened to Great Grandpa Ty's Fruity Dino Bites Bowl. They probably wouldn't use it. It would be like in a china cabinet somewhere up on display with a special light on it so everybody would walk in the house and they would be like, come on in, welcome to our home, let me show you my great-grandpa Ty's Fruity Dino Bites bowl. Do you see how this could be just transformed from an ordinary bowl into something truly just so deeply meaningful, a family heirloom? I can see it now. Now, I'm going to show you this hammer. It's a normal hammer. It's my hammer. 
I used to do construction, so I know this hammer pretty well. It's perfectly balanced. I love it. But now what would happen if this family heirloom got in the wrong hands and they <laughs> broke it? Did that get you? You good? Okay, good. Now what? Do you think this bowl will live on as Great Grandpa Ty's Fruity Dino Bites bowl? No, it won't. I, actually, I know for a fact it's not even going to make it out of this room unless it's in a trash can. This is literally just bits of trash. I'll pick it up so that nobody steps on it when, they, when the worship team comes up. So now, now what about this bowl? Now I wonder, connecting this back to Paul, sitting in a prison, malnourished, physically beaten, tired, I wonder if you and I found ourselves in the same situation as Paul, beaten, malnourished in this prison, if we would feel a little bit like this. There used to be some potential. It used to be nice, but now it's just kind of wasted. It's broken. There's just no, it's not worth anything now. There's no real potential or future for it. I wonder, maybe today you walk in and you feel a little bit like this bowl, like something bad has happened to you. Maybe you're stuck in some sort of sin that you just can't get out of or addiction and you just find yourself feeling like wasted potential and you're not sure what to do about it. Has anybody here ever heard of Kintsugi? I'll put it up on the screen so that you can read it. Uh, Kintsugi, anybody ever heard of that? Probably a few of you, a few of you. So Kintsugi, I have here my own little Kintsugi creation. I did this last night. Well, my wife did this last night. Um, <laughs> Kintsugi is this Japanese art form that's been around for centuries. And basically, their philosophy behind it is that things that are broken can still be beautiful. Things that are broken can still have purpose. So what they do is they take the glue and they infuse literal gold dust into the glue. And then while it's still wet, they paint gold dust on it. So now this bowl, which I held up and it looked like a normal ordinary bowl, this one has like character to it. And actually the most beautiful parts of this bowl are the cracks. Do you see it? The art of Kintsugi has been around for so, so long. Uh, in fact, there are legends of um, wealthy people taking their most valuable pottery and intentionally breaking it and then sending it to a Kintsugi artist so that it could be made even more beautiful through its brokenness. I don't know if the person that invented Kintsugi was a follower of Jesus, uh, but I think that they point us to Jesus a lot through their art form. So now earlier when I hit this bowl with a hammer, you're probably, I mean, it was kind of funny, right? But you were kind of thinking like, why waste a good bowl? Why, why would that even, why would that be beneficial? Why would we ever do that? And I wonder if maybe somebody in here today feels a little bit like, why is this thing happening to me? Why am I experiencing this pain in my life? Well, I wonder if regardless of purpose or what caused it, if there could still be some beauty found in your brokenness. So Paul gets beaten, battered, and imprisoned, yet he writes letters like this. 
He doesn't write letters of, please help me, come free me, come break me out of prison. I need to be rescued. He doesn't write letters like that. In fact, he writes letters like Philippians where he just says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Remember, Paul doesn't really look like this. Paul is probably more in a state like this. Yeah, he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Be gentle to all. And he means that in this uh, prison cell. He's actually ministering to the prison guards. He's truly being, he's letting his gentleness be evident to all. He's putting it into action. Paul writes these kinds of letters. Then he goes on to tell the Philippian church what not to do. Remember, Paul is in prison, broken, beaten, malnourished. And he writes these words. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul, literally beaten, broken, malnourished, not knowing where his next meal is going to come from, says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So grandpa, great-grandpa ties Fruity Dino Bites bowl. If my great-grandchildren had it, and they protected it in their, in their uh, china cabinets with the special lights on display so everybody would see it, um, do you know what they would probably never, ever, ever do to that bowl? They would probably never, ever, ever use it. Right? If they're trying to protect it, they want to make sure nothing happens to it. It's an heirloom. The very thing that it was created to do, hold fruity dino bites, will probably never happen again out of fear of what might happen to it. Fear that somebody would misuse it. Fear that it would get broken in the dishwasher. Fear that somebody would trip and it would break or they would lose it. Like fear of what might potentially happen to it would render it useless. Do you see how, like, ironic that is? Paul says, don't be anxious about what might happen to you. That verse, do not be anxious about anything, I think it's quoted a lot, um, rightfully so, about um, mental health, about anxiety, about depression. But I think Paul is addressing that, but I think he's also addressing something much deeper than just mental health. I think he's really addressing, like to our core, do not be consumed by the things of yourself. Do not be consumed by the things of yourself. Do not be consumed by the fear of what might happen to you. Do not be consumed by how others might view you. Do not be consumed about the anxieties that are like consuming you. Do not be consumed by the things of yourself. Paul concludes this inclusio, so the, the third piece of this. He calls us back to joy again. He says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul, broken, beaten from a prison, pleads them not to focus on the things of themselves, but rather the things of God. 
So now if you have a bowl for this analogy, we're going to go with this analogy a little bit. So just go with me here. We're going to keep going. When you have a bowl and your main goal is to protect that bowl, what's the one thing you will probably never do? Use it. Yet when you get to know the person who made the bowl. So in this analogy, let's go with the potter. When you get to know the potter and you see the way that they work, you see the way that they spin the clay, the way that they mold things out of seemingly nothing, what we would call maybe dirt. They, They form it into something that is beautiful, but beyond that, it has purpose. When you get to know the potter like that, not only do you admire their work, but you're honored to be able to use it. So in this analogy, it would be like the Father. God the Father is the one who created us, created you out of nothing. We are from dust. He created you, breathed life into you from nothing. Not only are you beautiful and made in the image of God, but he made you for a purpose, to do something. Not just to live in beauty up in a case somewhere removed from all potential harm. He created you to be in the world, to be active to fulfill a purpose, to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. So when you get to know the potter, you're honored to use their work for what it was intended to be used for. But then, when it becomes broken, it's easy to fall into shame or regret. It's easy to think, if I could only go back and not hit the bowl with the hammer, if I could just go back, everything would have been fine. There would have been no shards of clay around. There would have been nothing. If I could only go back. However, I wonder if this, you know, pieces of clay to us might look like trash, might look like wasted potential to us. I wonder if a Kintsugi artist would look at this and they would be excited. They would be happy. They would see beauty. They would see potential to put their art into use. They would see potential to make something not only fixable, but something more beautiful than the original and something that still retains its original purpose. So in this analogy, the son, Jesus, is like the artist who is in the business of taking broken things and not just fixing them, but giving them more beauty than they ever had before and returning them to their original purpose. So when you get to know the artist, you no longer see brokenness as a waste. Rather, you see an opportunity for redemption. When you get to know the son, when you see the stories of Jesus bringing redemption and restoration, when you hear testimonies of people time and time again proclaiming that Jesus took their brokenness and redeemed them and made them more beautiful, when you get to know the son, you fall in love with his work and you no longer see brokenness as a waste. Rather, you see it as glorious potential and you get excited about the potential of it being made more beautiful. Do you see how Paul sitting in this prison is able to say now, rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, we see this broken, beaten, malnourished body when we look at Paul stuck in prison, but he sees an opportunity for the Savior to make him more beautiful, to bring even more purpose to his life. And now to continue this analogy, the spirit would be what fills the bowl. 
The Spirit would be something that actually brings our purpose into action. The Spirit of God is the one who says, not only are you redeemed and beautiful, but you still have a purpose. You still can be used what you were intended to use. The Spirit is the one that nudges you and prompts you to fulfill your purpose, to speak to somebody who needs it, to pray for somebody who needs it, to maybe take a big step and change your career to something else. I don't know what it is, but the Spirit is the one who prompts you to step into your purpose, not to just sit idly by on a shelf. Redeemed, yet useless. The Spirit says you are redeemed, yet useful. And now, the last thing I want to say about this is that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't just ignore your pain. He doesn't just ignore your brokenness. He doesn't just look past the sin in your life. He doesn't just pretend like that addiction in your life doesn't work. He doesn't just pretend like you were not misused or abused in the past. He doesn't blind himself to the brokenness in your life. In fact, when he looks at the brokenness in your life, he looks down and he is so excited because he sees the handiwork of his son. He is proud of his son. He is proud of the work of Jesus and his restorative work. Jesus doesn't come and you know, mend the cracks because he's obligated. Jesus doesn't sit back and say, well, here goes another bowl. I guess I got to fix another one. Jesus also wasn't like, well, I guess I have to fix it if I want to use it. No, Jesus looks down and he sees your brokenness and he is excited because he loves you and he is excited for an opportunity to put the work of the cross to use out of love. Motivated by nothing other than love, Jesus is excited to restore and redeem. I would say it like this. Jesus is so eager to bring his father's handiwork back to life so that it can be used by the spirit. Jesus is so eager, motivated by love, to bring his father's handiwork back to life so that it can be used by the spirit. When Jesus sees your brokenness, he sees glorious potential for redemption. When the Father sees your brokenness, he sees the beautiful work of the cross. He sees perfection beyond even the original. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to wrap up here in just a minute. But I want to point, point out something here that Adam was created out of nothing. But Adam was created not to suffer. He was not created to suffer. That wasn't his, the goal in creating Adam. God didn't breathe humanity into life and say, yes, I'm going to make sure they suffer. That's not, that was not the intention of Adam. Yet, we know that Adam endured suffering and we all, in turn, are enduring suffering. We all live in a broken world. We all are broken people. Like I've said before, maybe you walk in today and you just feel the weight of that brokenness in your own life. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe it's something that's been done to you. Maybe it's watching somebody else go through something that just isn't fair, that doesn't make sense. 
we all sit here and we have stories on stories on stories represented in this room. We could literally go around for hours, probably days, sharing stories of suffering that we're experiencing in this room. But that's not why we were created. But what's so beautiful about the story of Jesus is that he was made perfect, not removed from suffering, but he was made perfect through his suffering. The author of Hebrews says it like this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. If Jesus, the Son of God, was made perfect through what he suffered, I wonder what brokenness and redemption could do to our souls. I wonder what suffering viewed in the right light of eternity could do to our souls. Paul calls the Philippians and us not to be consumed by the things of ourself. He calls us not to walk, walk around this life worrying about what might happen, what people might say to us, what might happen if we step out, if we are obedient to God and we put ourselves to use, what might happen. Paul doesn't say live your life removed from all potential harm. He says the opposite. He says, do not be anxious. Because we know the one who can redeem. Do not remove yourself from the world because we know the one who created the world and who is bringing all things to good. Now, at the beginning, I shared a story or a, a picture of my family. I'll put it back up there. Um, the people on the screen with me there see my brokenness more than anybody else in the world ever will. They see my shortcomings. They see my failures. They see my mistakes. They see my sin. They see my blatant selfishness more than anybody else in the whole world. They see the absolute worst side of me that anybody on planet earth will ever see. Yet, those three people love me more than anybody else ever has or ever will. And I know that you have somebody similar in your life, either currently or in the past. And I just invite you to like take a step back and realize that that is how God looks at you. The Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Father looks at you and he sees beauty. He sees the work of his son. He sees it beautiful. He is so proud and honored that he created not only the bowl, but he created the one to restore it. He is the one to restore it. That he is the one to bring it purpose. God looks at you and he is just filled with love for you. To, to bring it all together, I would just say your brokenness is not something to be hidden your sin and your shortcomings aren't something to sweep under the rug or pretend don't exist. Paul says in Corinthians, if I have to boast, I will boast about my weaknesses for they display the beauty of my Savior. 
I want you to get out your next steps cards. Um, they're in the seat back in front of you. Um, I want to challenge you to do a couple things today, maybe one, one of two things. Uh, the first question I'm going to ask you to write down on your next steps cards is this. What in your life is painful or causes shame? In other words, what do you not count as joy? Is there any aspect of your life that just feels like this, like trash, wasted potential, pain, now i got to clean it up, like I just hope nobody sees it, I'm just going to throw it away real quick before anybody knows that I've, you know, broken, before anybody sees that I'm broken. Is there any aspect of your life where you're just experiencing pain and you don't know why? There's no silver lining, there's no gold lining, there's nothing good that's come from it yet. I want you to like literally write it down. Be really, really vulnerable with yourself because today I'm telling you your pain, your brokenness, your cracks, your flaws are not something to be hidden. Rather something to be put on full display because they display the work of the Savior. Another thing you could write down is maybe God has spoken to you in the past and asked you to do something asked you to go somewhere, to say something, to start a relationship with a neighbor or a coworker, to take it beyond just surface level. Maybe God has prompted you to do something, but fear or pain or um, fear of pain or failure keeps you from fulfilling that purpose. God's prompted you to say something, to step out, to minister to somebody, but you're just too afraid of what might happen. They might, it might not go well. That might ruin my relationship with them. They might make fun of me. They might look at me different. They might be awkward. Is there something God has asked you to do, but anxiety or fear has just kept you on the shelf? If so, I want you to write it out. I want you to write out what God has prompted you to do if that's true for you. And I challenge you that Paul says, do not be anxious. Bad things are going to happen. There is going to be pain. There is going to be awkwardness. There is going to be turmoil. Maybe it's restoring a relationship that's been broken for years. It's going to be painful to open that up. But there is immense beauty in our brokenness because it is lined with the fingerprints of our Savior. So I encourage you to write that down this morning, what has God spoken to you or prompted you to do? To summarize all this, there is, there is so, I'm thinking about my family, there is so much beauty in our brokenness. There is nobody on this planet that shows me the love of the Savior more than my wife through my brokenness, my pain, my suffering, my shortcomings. There is nobody that loves me more unconditionally, even though she sees it all. My flaws are not something to be hidden. Rather, my flaws are something to be put on full display because they are marked with the fingerprints of a savior. I encourage you to step out in vulnerability today whatever that is for you. I'm going to give you a few more minutes to write on your next steps cards. I encourage you to be vulnerable with yourself. 
Um, even if you don't turn it in, I encourage you to turn it in, to bring it up. But even if not, I encourage you to be really vulnerable with yourself um, because the stuff you write down might just be the most beautiful parts of your story. I'll give you a few minutes. Go ahead and write on your next steps cards. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps. Thank you.